Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the sixth Wednesday in Lent, April 6, 2022, was preached by Matthew Johnson. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good evening. Is this volume okay for everybody? Trying to project. I don't enjoy projecting. So Uh, please rise and I will read our text, which is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. and Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Please be seated. I'm going to tell you a story about something that happened to me. Some of you may hear this story, lean forward in your pew, look at me and say, one more time, what happened? And those of you who are a little more attuned to our culture and, and where it's been headed the last 10 years are going to sit back and say something like, Matt, what do you think was going to happen? But I promise you this. I'm not just repeating something I heard online or on a radio interview or secondhand. This actually happened to me. I work for a consulting firm that does mostly health insurance. Group insurance is our bread and butter, so your health insurance you get through your employer Uh, Someone like my boss sat down with someone like your boss and convinced him or her to buy it for the company. Occasionally there's a need for individual insurance where you have to go out and buy it yourself. That's where I come in, that's my job. So one day in comes a family from a valuable group client who I need to find a plan for. We chat, we find a plan, we begin filling out the paperwork and we list the family members. And their oldest kid, who's not present, has a gender neutral name. There are boys named this, there are girls named this. Gets to the place where I've inputted the kid's name and I need to check an M for male or an F for female. And I ask the parents, is Jesse a boy or a girl? It's a simple question, right? The mother looked at me and with a straight face, she said, he hasn't decided which he wants to be yet. What do you say to that? especially when later in the health questions, they do not cite mental illness as an issue. There are people who don't even think that question sounds that crazy. He hasn't decided. There are people who are obsessed with making up an identity that suits them. And if their identity doesn't fit, they dump it and they make up a new one. And I'm not being facetious when I say they make it up. 
A Google search of how many genders are there in 2022 yielded the following. First thing on it said 15 gender identity terms defined, 2022. The second thing on the search was more telling. It says a question, what are the 72 genders? That search was yesterday, so there's probably 74 by now. Our fallen world has an identity crisis, and now I'm not talking about just people afflicted with gender dysphoria. Uh, as Christians, we should know about our true identity. And we're going to talk a little bit about identity tonight. Salvation can be a complicated, somewhat misleading word, depending on context. For our purposes tonight, I'm going to describe it with the use of word tense, past, present, future. Uh, salvation past tense is justification. Salvation separates us from the penalty of sin. Salvation present tense, sanctification. Salvation separates us from the power of sin. And salvation future tense, glorification. Salvation separates us from even the presence of sin. Previously in our text, Paul has uh, got, just, just got done talking a lot about salvation past tense or justification. He's now in chapter six going to presume upon our status as already being justified. Imputed righteousness to us. We've been declared righteous. The passport has been stamped, if you will. But a passport doesn't tell you a whole lot about the actual person. It merely lets the person go where they are going. And so Paul is now going to get into our present salvation, or our, pres our, <laughs> our salvation present tense sanctification. Verse 1 is a rhetorical question referring to where he left off in chapter 5. We're carrying on with the conversation. Are we to, to continue in sin that grace may abound? Answer, no. Emphatically, no. So how do we make sense of that emphatic no? Why is that the answer? Verses 3 and 4 get into our baptism into Jesus and his death. The word baptism here is transliterated from the Greek baptizo forgive the pronunciation, which is a fancy way of saying it's not really translated in sense of a definition, it's transliterated so we're just saying the English pronunciation of the Greek. It's my understanding that this is uh, because the actual term in Greek has no fewer than 20 definitions. One commentator I was listening to said uh, seven of those definitions occur in scripture. I don't know if that's specifically true, but the point is it can mean different things depending on context. And to this end, our earlier scripture readings tonight are very purposeful. Psalm 106 recalls the crossing of the Red Sea by Israel. And 1 Corinthians 10 expounds on that same passage saying, all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Genesis 7 discusses the destruction of the flood and how Noah and his family were saved by being aboard the ark. In 1 Peter 3, which wasn't one of our readings, uh, references it saying baptism, which corresponds to this, referring to the flood event. Now, I'll get to John 3 later, but as to the OT references, did you notice something? We hear the word baptism and naturally think water. But while there was water involved, the people saved in those narratives didn't get wet. The enemies of God got wet. So what's the correspondence with baptism? Who did the saved people publicly identify with? They identified with Moses and his worship of Yahweh and his saving faith in that respect. They identify with God's personal specific provision of the ark 
to save them from the destruction of sin. So what are you and I baptized into? What or who do we identify with? It's interesting in our text that it says, we who died. Past tense, it's an event that's already occurred. Did you know that there's a specific date and time in history when you are credited with dying? 1990 years ago in April, we're, we're approaching the anniversary even now. And so if we're found to be in Christ, it's been established in the earlier chapters that we are. It's only logical that we can find an, identify, an identity with him in his death. It bothers me when secular people citing history say something like the death of Christ, and then they keep metaphorically walking like there's no further comment on that part. And that irks me. Most of them don't do it on purpose. I suspect some of them do. But whenever we talk about the death of Christ, we need to include the resurrection. And that's what our text does here. Verse 4 says, we'll walk in newness of life. Verse 5 says, just like we're united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Scripture is full of references to resurrection. Some are literal, others are not literal, but they're still very real. And just sitting, writing this, off the top of my head, I came up with eight physical resurrection references, not including the group resurrection in Matthew after the death of Christ. And that's without doing any work, and I'm sure there's more, but it's full of it. Did you know that, in a sense, we get two resurrections? In a sense. One is literal, and it's in the future. Perhaps sooner, perhaps later, but in the future and literal. And then also, after our initial conversion, we have a new life, which, once justified, I would argue we're living right now today. Verse 6 says our old self was crucified. Here's some food for thought. While you do have the ability to kill yourself, have you ever thought about how you can't actually crucify yourself? You can't do it. At some point, one arm is pinned back, and you can't get to the other one. I think it's an interesting intrigue that, that we're considered crucified with him, but we can't actually perform that act, even in a literal sense, by ourselves. I think that's purposeful. I think it's kind of neat. But moreover, it says our death with him is so the body of sin might come to nothing or be destroyed. The Greek word for destruction used here is katargio. Forgive the pronunciation again. It's a clear term indicating how sin is made no effect. It's paralyzed, it's canceled, it's nullified. It's interesting here that the term indicates that the actual problem of sin is completely taken care of, made no effect, nullified. But sin itself doesn't actually go anywhere. So let us recall that even death itself doesn't indicate extinction. Death is not extinction. So what is it? It's separation. As born-again Christians living this new life, we've been separated from the penalty of sin, and we can be separated from the power of sin, but that doesn't mean we no longer sin. I wish it did mean that, but it doesn't. Given our new life in Christ, something in our nature has changed. Remember Jesus talking about being born again in our reading from John 3 earlier. Something happens upon conversion. And a new life isn't just some fancy Christianese term. And unlike in our previously damned state, when we sin as Christians now, we can no longer sin carelessly, no longer with impunity. We can find no rest in it. 
and we certainly won't enjoy it in any kind of meaningful sense of the word. Often enough, sanctification is associated with right action. That is not all it is, but it's associated with, with not sinning, doing the right thing. Now, regarding doing what is right, should we always be moving forward in our personal holiness? Yeah. Ephesians 2 reminds us that we are indeed created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepares in advance for us to do. Uh, one thing I read in preparing for this, a reference to a child that fell out of bed. And when the mother asked her why she was crying, she said, I hadn't moved far enough away from where I first got in. Our personal holiness does indeed need to progress as our initial point of conversion grows further and further into the past. But that's not the main point of the passage here. If being good was the main point of this passage, I think Paul would spend less time talking about Jesus and his work. But just about every verse, that's what he's writing about. So what do we take away from these 11 verses? We need to know. Verse 2, know that we identify with Jesus' death. Verse 6, know that the body of sin is brought to nothing. And while in this life our old nature desperately clings to us, when identifying with Jesus, we are separated from its power. Verse 9, know that death has nothing on Jesus. Jesus has defeated death. And lastly, verse 11, because of everything we've just talked about, you must count on yourselves being dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, because that's what his work does for us. It makes us alive. If you really feel like you still need to do something, because that's ingrained very deeply in us as human beings, if it still eats at you, do the work of God which Jesus clearly identifies for us in John 6.29, where he says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Amen. <laughs>